Welcome back to the People's Tax Pod. I'm your host, Adam Poisner. I'm joined today by the People's Tax Panel, David, Vivian, and Phil. At the People's Tax page, we believe that America is plagued by three major issues. First is our growing inequality. Second is our tax system's role in exacerbating this inequality. And the third is how our tax code could be a solution to this problem. Smarter tax policy would ensure that the upper class pays its fair share of taxes that benefits all Americans. Last week, David and Professor Ed discussed gender-based inequalities and started to broach the larger topic of how taxes create inequalities. This week, we wanted to follow up and expand on this idea that taxes are currently making the inequalities that we see in America worse. Among the federal taxes, there are three that stand out as they make up the majority of federal tax revenue. Payroll tax, the individual income tax, and finally, the corporate income tax. Vivian, can you tell us about the payroll tax and how it is worsening inequality? Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. So last season, we discussed the payroll tax in the context of Biden's proposed tax plan, because what B- Biden wanted to do is expand the payroll tax to apply to incomes 400 k and greater. But since that development hasn't yet happened, I will briefly describe the payroll tax in its current form and then explain how the payroll tax burdens wage-based income. To start with the definition, the payroll tax is a tax on the wages, salaries, and tips paid to employees. In terms of what the payroll tax funds, it supports government benefits programs like Social Security, Medicare, and unemployment insurance. It's also the second largest source of government revenue, overshadowed only by the income tax. So what numbers are we talking about? In the U.S., the largest payroll taxes are a 12.4 tax to fund Social Security, along with a 2.9% tax to fund Medicare for a combined rate of 15.3%. In addition, you know, half of this payroll tax, so 7.65%, is paid by employers. The other half is withheld from employees' paychecks, so it's paid by the employees. This means that if you make 60K a year, you'll be paying $4,590 in payroll tax alone. However, Practically speaking, you may also bear at least the partial burden of your employer's half of the payroll tax in the form of decreased wages. Not only that, but the payroll tax also applies only to the first $142,800 of income that you make as of 2021. The payroll tax also does not get at employee fringe benefits, which are benefits that supplement an employee's salary. Think subsidized meals, retirement plans, and notably health insurance. In the past few decades, the cost of healthcare has risen precipitously, and correspondingly, health premiums as a share of employees' compensation has also risen. These health premiums, because they are fringe benefits, are non-taxable and thus are not subject to the payroll tax. This means that over the years, the payroll tax has had access to a smaller and smaller tax base. So the crux of the payroll's tax role in exacerbating inequality is this. Workers whose jobs don't come with a lot of fringe benefits pay a larger share of their compensation through the payroll tax. Among these workers are low-paid restaurant workers, food services workers, and retail employees. In addition, because the payroll tax only applies to employees' wages, salaries, and tips, it also doesn't get at passive income, like dividend-paying stocks, ETFs, or other investment vehicles. 
this is a very you know, obvious bias towards taxing wage income over wealth-based income. There are solutions, of course. We could raise the cap on the payroll tax, which would you know, make the payroll tax apply to all income, uh, not just the first 142K of an, of an individual's income. Another solution might be to tax fringe benefits. Thanks, Vivian. There are a ton of different solutions out there. Beyond that, uh, upon closer inspection, it's quite clear that the payroll tax is very regressive and is taking money out of the pockets of those who need it. Moving on to the largest of the taxes, David, what can you tell us about the individual income tax? The income tax is the most familiar and most befuddling component of our federal tax system. Before we get into the structure of the income tax itself, I'd like to emphasize one specific point about the administration of the income tax. In most developed countries, the income tax is some version of the worker earns money, the employer sends the tax portion of it to the government, the government will send the notice to the worker at the end of the year telling him how much he's paid in taxes and the worker will confirm that that amount is correct. But in America, it's very different. The worker earns money and then the employer sends their portion to the government just like before. But then things change. Instead of the government just telling us what we paid and us confirming it, we, who are not experts, collect our documents and give them to experts or upload them to websites, either of which will charge a relatively steep fee, who then calculate how much tax we paid and how much we are supposed to pay before submitting our documents to request our money back from the government. All of this serves to make our income taxes much more visible, harder to ignore, and ultimately inconvenient. Every April, people will complain and note that it doesn't have to be this way. They will assume that it is some gridlock or technical difficulty that is preventing our improvement. But what you, the taxpayer and voter, should understand is that this is actually a feature rather than a flaw of the tax system. Republicans and conservatives generally want our taxes to be inconvenient because in other countries, they don't care that they pay higher taxes because they just don't realize it, even though they know it cognitively. They would rather keep their income, which they recognize as their take-home pay, and their health care and safety nets than to have just a few more dollars in their pockets right now. It is also a system that is heavily lobbied by the tax preparation industry because those fees build billion-dollar empires. That is perhaps the single most important part of our tax system to understand. It should be simple for anyone who earns wages exclusively, which is the majority of Americans, but it isn't because its complication helps conservatives politically. Moving on, the income tax functions by splitting income basically into two categories. Think of it as wages and wealth. As any longtime listener knows, or a person who generally exists in America, most Americans earn the wage portion as their only relevant portion. They don't make or they negligibly make capital income from investments, which means that their tax burden is entirely or nearly entirely their wage tax burden. The wage portion of the income tax is progressive. The first $12,000 a person earns is untaxed thanks to the standard deduction. The next $10,000 is taxed at 10%, the following $30,000 is taxed at 12%, and the next $45,000 is taxed at 22%. These numbers refer to the marginal tax rate, which is the rate at which money falling only within that bracket is taxed. For the median American household then, earning $60,000 and using the single filer numbers above, they would pay $0 tax on their first $12,000. $1,000 tax on the income from $12,000 to $22,000, $3,600 tax on the income from $22,000 to $52,000, and $1,760 tax on their income from $52,000 to $60,000. 
This means that their total income tax burden is $6,360. This gives them an average tax rate of 10.6%. The income tax burden for the median US household is less than 11%. If the earners in the household are married, then they would only pay $3,920 in taxes on an income of $60,000 for an average tax rate of 6.5% without any additional credits, deductions, or stimulus payments. In 2020, the median household with a married couple would have received an $1,800 tax credit, which would cut their taxes down to $2,120 or 3.5% from the uh, COVID stimulus bills. This seems like a great deal. Low-income families and even middle-income families pay low taxes. The problem arises when we couple this tax with the payroll tax, since most Americans as wage earners must pay both. Recall, as Vivian taught us, that the payroll tax is 15% for the first $143,000 of anybody's wages. This creates a taxable burden on wages, which are subject to both the payroll and the income tax, that climbs steeply for the first $60,000 or so of income, and then it quickly plateaus at 40%. We discussed this in more detail in Professor McCaffrey's piece, Death of the Income Tax. The takeaway of this is that the income tax is ostensibly progressive, but in reality, the tax structure is only progressive at the very bottom. By the time you reach the middle class, taxes on wages are flat at about 40%. Doctors and lawyers pay a similar tax rate to accountants and teachers. This may or may not be bad, but the way we talk about the income tax being progressive, it deceives that fact. The picture that we're talking about gets even more fucked when we look at the capital gains tax. I've been talking about the wage portion, which is dominant for most Americans, but the wealthiest Americans have another type of income. They invest their income, but not in GameStop. That's just gambling. And then they earn money from the interest and the appreciation on their investments. It takes approximately $2 million of investments to earn $60,000 a year in interest and appreciation, which means that the wealthiest 6% of Americans make more than the poorest 50% of Americans simply by existing. Not only that, but as Adam will explain, their income is taxed less than wages, so they will keep more of it. David, you're quite right that the individual income tax is only progressive on the surface. It is clear that the individual income tax is actively making inequality worse. I really quickly want to expand a bit upon the capital gains tax, as there are some important ideas that should be brought up. First of all, uh, there are two different forms of capital gains, the short-term and the long-term. The short-term is actually tax the same rate as the individual income tax and is generally just put through individual income. While the long-term capital gains, on the other hand, is taxed about half the rate of individual income tax. Generally, the difference between short-term and long-term has to do with how long you have to hold on to the capital. Long-term capital gains, on the other hand, is taxed about half the rate as the individual income tax. The difference being is the short-term capital gains uh, has you hold on for less than a year and long-term you hold on for more than a year. One of the reasons that the tax system is designed this way is to incentivize saving as a way to increase economic growth. This growth should happen through investment, which becomes more profitable due to the lower tax burden if you were to invest for a long period of time. Now, this might sound great in theory, as we want to incentivize people to grow the economy, invest in businesses, generally have more growth. But as David pointed out, discounting capital gains makes it easier for rich people to maintain their wealth in a way that others are not able to. The issue comes here when you have multiple generations 
of this increase in wealth within a very small group of people who other people don't have access to this method of wealth generation, you get massive inequality. I want to move on to our final tax, the corporate income tax, also referred to as the corporate tax. Phil, I know you've spent some time looking into the topic. Can you walk me through how the corporate tax leads to the inequality we see in America? Of course, Adam. So businesses in the U.S. typically fall into one of two categories, C-corporations and pass-throughs. C-corporations pay the corporate income tax, while pass-throughs pay the normal individual income tax, as they quite literally pass their income onto their owner's income tax returns. But first, let's look at the businesses that pay the corporate tax or pay the corporate tax rate and the tax itself. Firstly, reductions in the U.S. corporate tax rate have a proven causal relationship with wealth inequality. According to research by the National Bureau of Economic Research, which studied the effects of lowered corporate taxes in 2017's TCJA, as well as in individual states, reductions in corporate taxes do technically benefit everyone, but disproportionately so for high-income earners. Listeners may already know that the corporate tax rate is 21%, making it generally lower than the individual income tax rate. Many countries have also lowered their corporate tax rates because doing so tends to have positive economic effects. This makes sense, as the corporate tax burden falls not only on the business, but also on its consumers and employees through higher prices and lower wages. But once again, we're talking about how the tax system discounts wealth-based income and burdens wage-based income. This theme is ever-prevalent in corporate taxes. The reason why these reductions are so disproportionately more helpful to high-income earners is due to the ability of high-income earners to restructure their assets such that they pay taxes on a greater amount of capital and a lower salary. As Adam discussed, the end result is you know, much more cash in their pockets. But still, people argue that corporate taxes should be lowered because corporations are double taxed as it is. You have one tax on the corporation's income, then you have another tax on the money distributed to the corporation's owners. But in fact, most businesses in the US are actually taxed as pass-through entities, which avoid the double tax by, again, passing their profit through the company and directly to the tax returns of owners who subsequently pay the normal income tax. There are multiple types of pass-through entities, but we won't go into that for now. What's important to know is that pass-through taxation, in theory, is a great idea. It's designed to help small businesses operate without hefty tax costs. But one problem is that pass-through business income is overwhelmingly concentrated among high-income individuals. According to the IRS, in 2016, 65% of pass-through income was earned by taxpayers of adjusted gross incomes of $200,000 per year and higher. In fact, a 2015 Harvard study concluded that pass-through income is particularly concentrated among the top 0.5% of taxpayers. The 2017 TCJA made this even worse by adding a 20% deduction for certain types of pass-through income. Again, proponents may say that this is supposed to help small businesses, and it may do so but it overwhelmingly helps wealthy, big businesses. According to the Joint Committee on Taxation, 61% of the 2017 TCJA's benefits will go to the top 1% of households in 2024, while a mere 4% will go to the entire bottom 67%. Deductions on pass-through income are furthermore marginally more helpful for high-income earners because they face the highest regular individual tax rates. 
As a result, these deductions represent a truly great expense to federal revenue, thereby inhibiting the redistribution of wealth that is supposed to reduce economic inequality around the country. Thank you, Phil. It's pretty astonishing that the corporate tax has so many issues. There are many more federal taxes, and many of them end up creating much of the inequality that we see, but the three we discussed today make up the vast majority of federal tax revenue. For reference, in 2019, almost 92% of federal tax revenue came through these three taxes. After having discussed the payroll tax, the income tax, and the corporate tax, it is quite clear the tax system plays a role in the growing inequality that we see, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are many solutions to turn these tax from harmful to helpful. Next week, we hope to delve into these solutions. Thank you again to Vivian, David, and Phil for joining me today to discuss how the tax system is making inequality in America worse. To our audience, thank you all for listening, and we hope you have been able to learn something or think about these topics in a new light. If you have any questions or want to subscribe to our newsletter or donate, head over to peoplestaxpage.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at People's Tax Page. Finally, you can rate and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud at People's Tax Pod. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.